Voice Nation. Greetings and salutations, Device Nation. You're home for the greatest show on earth, and we know that show is Medical Device Sales with ideas, stories, and interviews to help take you from good to great. This is Kevin Brown, your voice of chicken salad on rye in times of tuna on toast. And Seinfeld fans, you're welcome. I hope you are having a wonderful day. Hope you had a great week. I most certainly did. Today is just going to be an amazing episode. We get to sit down and have a conversation with best-selling author Bob Berg, who co-wrote one of my favorite books, and it's called The Go-Giver. Go get it today and read it. It's just awesome stuff. The heart of his book is the heart of this show, and they just go hand in hand. So join hands with me, and let's get started. I was in one of those multi-rep revisions recently, and I had to share with you what happened. The rep, and we'll call him Rep A, uh, has all the business with this particular surgeon. And at the beginning of the case, I asked him what we were taking out, and he said he wasn't sure, didn't really know, it didn't matter because they were taking it out anyway. So I said, well, you know, just my, my national treasure side that loves to find out these things. Said, let me take a look at it. So we went in the room and looked at the x-ray together. And I said, you know, that looks like a striker stem. It had a real oblique lateral shoulder to it, which is kind of a hallmark of uh, some of their stem designs. So I just left it at that, went out of the room, came back 10 minutes later. And he had pulled up on his phone a picture of the very stem that I was referring to and said, does that look like what it is? I said, yeah, that's exactly what I think this implant is. So then he proceeds to take the phone and go up to the surgeon who's now scrubbed and working on the case and said, doctor, I looked it up on Google and I think it's a striker stem and showed him the picture. And the surgeon said, yeah, that looks like it. He said, how'd you find that out? He goes, I just researched it by decade, and and that's how I usually find these things. So then Rep B, who's standing right beside me, leans over and whispers in my ear, Purloined Glory, which, by the way, would be a great name for a band. Absolutely cracked me up. I told him, I'm not into the glory. I don't care one bit about this, but... uh, I did wish that at that moment I had a yellow flag in my back pocket because I would have thrown it. That's 10 yards loss of down. My knee-jerk reaction was, you have all the business with this surgeon and are under absolutely no threat from me or the rep standing next to me. So what are you even worried about? Why are you acting that way? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a second. So another story, I'm in a multi-rep revision yet again with a female rep and the three stooges, me and two other male reps. When this primary surgeon walked into the room, the female rep promptly walks over to him, gives him like a four to five second full frontal hug. It was kind of awkward for everybody. She turned around, gave us a quick wink and got back in line. I thought to myself, dang, if I tried that, I would end up being an add-on trauma case. So what is the teachable moment nestled within these two cases? In our continuing series on character, we're going to talk about a word that addresses one of the issues, and I promise you, you have never heard this word in sales training, but I think it is a word that definitely and positively contributes to your brand. Thanks to Matthew Ray Scott for just getting me focused on it. He's a great follow, by the way, on LinkedIn. Really good content. 
You have a brand, and you contribute to that brand each and every day, positively and negatively, by everything you say and everything you do. So in this circumstance, the one word that I think contributes greatly to your brand as a device rep is, drumroll, meekness. So you're thinking to yourself, what? That doesn't sound salesy at all. Well, allow me a moment of your time. When you look this word up in Merriam-Webster's, it largely revolves around the concept of submissiveness, but that is not where we're going with it at all. We're going to look at it from one of the Greek origin words of this word, meekness, and that word is preus, not to be confused with prius, which may be construed as a sign of submissiveness. <laughs> Sorry. As a former Prius owner, I can make jokes about Priuses, right? So let's look at two translations of Prius, the underpinnings of the word meekness. Those who have swords know how to use them, but keep them sheathed. I really like that. And the other one is meekness is the spirit of one who is not easily provoked, but keeps under control the natural instinct to assert oneself, underline that, and or retaliate, underline that. So resolved, meekness is not weakness. No, actually, it is a great strength to keep your mouth shut when something just happened in front of you that was clearly a lie, <laughs> meant to make some other rep look better than you or in front of you for whatever reason, and or trying to look good in front of your peers in one of these multi-rep revisions. It takes great strength to just show restraint and be secure in who you are and not tarnish your brand by doing some of these outlandish things, right? Let's tie this up. Your name, your brand, so to speak, is the absolute most important thing in your bag. And everything you do and everything you say every day contributes to that positively or negatively. And it is my contention that this completely unheard of word in the sales space, meekness, contributes greatly to your brand, i.e. your name, positively or negatively, whether it's the presence of it or the absence of it. You know, I thought about calling that rep out when he did that in front of me, but I decided this is a long game. We're going to put that sword back in the sheath. There is plenty of opportunities to bring that sword out when it's appropriate. It takes great wisdom to know when to keep it in there and live to fight another day. After that rep gave the surgeon a hug, I thought about, okay, how do I assert myself in this group? And I thought the same thing. It's not the right place for this, and I don't want a black eye. So there's a time and a place to pull that sword out when we're asked questions directly or people want to get our wisdom or insight on something. With the absence of meekness, however, it'll often throw our timing off and come out as insecurity. Insecurity, something we don't want anywhere near our brand. So in summary, I want to clear one thing up. I have a very competitive audience. It's what makes you good at what you do. You're competitive. You want to win. And you may be thinking to yourself, meekness sounds like it's at odds with that. It doesn't sound like it plays well with being competitive. Well, consider this. In the absence of meekness, the competitive person can come across as insecure, which actually makes them look weaker. 
but a competitive person that is meek actually makes them stronger because they don't feel obligated to respond to every slight or every game of one-upsmanship. It is power under control, which only makes your brand stronger. Why? Because medical device is a long game. It always has been. And trying to assert yourself in these social situations is playing a short game. Responding to every slight is a short game. Play the long game. Have your power under control. And know this will pay dividends in the long run. On that note, I am so thankful that Mr. Bob Berg took out his sword and started swinging. And created this book, which has just inspired me on so many different levels. Again, the heart of this show is the heart of this book. So I strongly recommend that if you're listening to the show, get on Amazon today, go onto the website of his. I will put it in the show notes and and order it, read it. It's a quick read, but it will change your life, I promise. So without any further ado, welcome to the show, Mr. Bob Burke. Hey, Kevin, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I am so thankful to have you on Device Nation. I love your book series uh, centered around the the premise of a giving worldview in the world of business. And I look forward to asking you about Joe, Pindar, Zig Ziglar. But first, (laughs) I want to go back in time. Tell me about your first sales job and and a little bit about about your life. Uh, First sales job was actually... After I had kind of flunked as a as a broadcaster, I started out in uh, radio. I mean, in, yeah, radio as a sportscaster, and then television as a news guy for a very small ABC affiliate in the uh, Midwestern United States. But again, I, I really wasn't very good at it. So it wasn't long before I found I had, I like to say, graduated into sales, and it was actually selling airtime for that same station. Uh, so I was selling advertising basically. And the, the challenge was I had no, uh, background in sales. Uh, so I had never had any training, didn't know, didn't know how to sell in a, in a formal environment. And the, uh, the training at the company itself was non-existent. So I was pretty much on my own. And so I floundered really for a few months until one day, and this is almost 40 years ago now, uh, I went into a bookstore just to see if there was some information I could find. And it turned out there was a, there were a couple of books on selling, which doesn't sound like a big deal now because the books on sales are so prolific. But, uh, back then that wasn't really the case. Fortunately, there were two wonderful books. One was by Zig Ziglar who you mentioned, and one was by Tom Hopkins. Those were really the two, at the time, the real sales icons. And to me, they're still sales icons. But I I got their books, and I I took them back home. And after every work day, I would just, to the wee hours of the morning, I would read and study and highlight and underline and note-take and dog-ear pages and practice and drill and rehearse. And, you know, within just a few weeks, my sales began to really, really go through the roof, which was, you know, very um, uh, a, a profound lesson to me because it it showed that if you have a methodology, uh, you can pretty much accomplish what you want to accomplish. And uh, you know, I to me, I just I call it following a system, sure. right? And and I, I I would define a system as simply the process of predictably achieving a goal 
based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles, the key being predictability. If it's been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired results of B, then you know that all you need to do is A and continue to do A, and eventually you'll get the desired results of B. So that was really a, uh, you know, just some fantastic learning for me. And from that point on, sales became something I really loved. Do you have a favorite Zig Ziglar quote? Oh, without question. In fact, it's it's a quote of Zig's that is typically misquoted, which is really annoying. So it, because it's such a great quote, it should be quoted exactly 100% as it is. And and uh, it, it, it sort of went like, like this. You can have everything in life you want uh, if you just help enough other people get what they uh, want. And you, sir, have a voice for radio. I can see why you were into that. Well, the problem is I also had a face for radio. (laughs) That is awesome. I want to just jump off of one thing you just said because it just triggered a thought. When you talked about methodology and just being intentional in what you're doing, it's been my experience, and I just want to get your thoughts on this, that the people that struggle with that the most are the naturally gifted salespeople because we can find ourselves just kind of winging it and thinking that that's going to carry the day. And it's very difficult for us to strap ourselves down to uh, some guardrails, so to speak, isn't it? Well, so when you say naturally gifted salespeople, I'm, I'm thinking, and, and I could be wrong, I'm interpreting that to mean people who like to talk. Correct. I would not necessarily say that 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 people with the gift of gab, if you will, necessarily make the best natural salespeople. Yeah, uh, these are people who like to talk and they can talk and they, they certainly don't have a fear of talking with people. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're very effective. I think in order to become effective, a person needs to be able to shut off the talking aspect and really be able to go into listening mode. I find that that natural listeners make the best uh, you know, intuitive salespeople. So one of the things that your book talked a lot about, and let's just go ahead and talk about the book that was given to me. It was the first in your series. I believe you're up to four now. Yeah, there are four books in the Go-Giver series. Three of them are, are parable. The the Go-Giver was the one I received, and I just got the Go-Giver Leader. That's, uh, that's the next book I'm going to read. Uh-huh. And you talked a lot about bringing value, and I just want to talk about just a brief overview of the books, and we're going to dive into it a little bit more. But so, sure. when you looked at that first book, the the foundation of the house, so to speak, walk my audience through your basic thoughts behind it, your basic premise. Well, that's such a great question because it always begins with a premise, right? Right. <laughs> and 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 the the, the premise of the Go Giver is simply that shifting your focus, and that's really the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving, and. When we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. And not for some woo-woo way out, you know, magical, mystical type of reason, but for very uh, concrete logical reasons. When you're that person, when you're that sales professional who is able to take your focus off yourself and place it on others, making their life better, helping them in their business, helping them solve their problems, helping them get 
closer to happiness through what you do. Well, you know, people like you. People feel good about you. They want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to buy from you. They want to tell others um, about you. So, you know, it's funny because when I speak at sales conferences, I'll, I'll often begin by saying, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Right. They're, they're not going to buy That's from right. you because you need the money or you have your sales goals. They're not even going to buy from you because you're a nice person. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And when you think about it, that's the only reason why anyone should buy from you or from me or from from anyone else, because their life will uh, in some way improve because of it. And that's great. Because it means that that sales professional who can really place the interest of that person above all else, they create that that environment, that what I call benevolent context for the sale to take place. I love what you said about placing the interest of the others above yours. Now, if somebody's listening to this message and uh, grabs onto it as a means to get something from that person... Uh, I'm going to give to you, but I expect something back for my trouble because that's what this is all about, right? What would you say to them? That kind of attitude, really, it just comes through, and people pick up on that. In the story, Pindar talk, uh, told Joe, actually, I think it was uh, Sam, one of the mentors who uh, who told Joe, the protege, that when you, you know, when you give with that in mind, with getting something back in mind, that's not really giving. It's called trading. And, you know, while there's a time and place for everything, that's not really what we're talking about here. And that's not what makes the most effective, sustainable uh, salespeople. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really something where, you know, you give because you truly desire to bring value to the life of another person. Now, remember, we also have the law of receptivity. And, and, and what that really means is you allow the receiving because you will receive. And again, there's nothing magical or mystical about this. I think what happens is, and this is, I think, human nature to do this. We kind of, we kind of operate out of what we call a treacherous dichotomy or a false dilemma. A false dilemma can be defined simply as the, the unnecessary use of the word or, right? So in other words, uh, are you a, are, are, are you a, um, you know, altruistic saint who just wants to give yourself away? Or are you some miserly greedy person who just wants to take from the other person? And the answer is neither, right? You're giving because that's how it's done. You're, you're focused on bringing value to others. And because you've created that benevolent context for success, you also allow yourself to receive uh, when that's earned and when that's congruent. I love the five laws of stratospheric success that you outlined in the book. Let's do a super quick brush through on uh, a couple of them. The law of value, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. Now, is that true worth have a dollar sign at attached to it or can it be something more intangible? Well, here's the important part. It's, it's understanding the difference between price and value. 
Because when we say give more in value than you take in payment, that kind of sounds like a recipe for bankruptcy, right? So we need to understand there's a significant difference between price and value. That's key. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. It's it's what you charge for your product or service. Uh, value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, this service, this concept, this idea, what have you, that brings so much worth or value to that other person that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be glad they did while you make a very healthy profit. To give an example outside the business, okay, Uh, let's say you hire an accountant to do your taxes and she charges you $1,000. That's her price. But what value does she give you in return? Well, she she saves you $5,000 in taxes. She saves you countless hours of time and she provides you with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. So right away, we see that again, while price is finite, value can be both concrete, right, in terms of that $5,000 savings, but it can also be conceptual in terms of the hours and in terms of the peace of mind, which probably holds more worth or value than even that, you know, the money that was saved. So she gave you well over $5,000 in value in exchange for a $1,000 fee or price. So you feel great about it. And she also made a very healthy profit, which she should. The law of compensation. Your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. It reminded me a little bit of the old line, uh, sell to the masses, eat with the classes, uh, kind of thing where the more people that you can reach out to and provide value to, then that only that only helps you at the end of the day monetarily and non-monetarily, right? Well, if you have a client, that's great. That's wonderful. And I expect you provide so much value to that person, both intrinsically through the product itself and through all the additional value you bring through your excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation, and all the things you add to the product. That's great. But one person, right, isn't going, no matter how great a value you provide, isn't going to bring you a a very hefty income. So law number two is talking more about the reach, how many lives you impact with that exceptional value. I, I love the law of influence because I have seen that throughout my life. Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. I've I've seen in my own life, and I'd love your thoughts on this, um, when you're trying to give someone counsel, but they're not open to hearing what you're having to say. So that key to someone's heart, oftentimes in their mind, is them being convinced that you have their interest at heart And then they open that door to hear what you have to say. And that's basically your influence right there, isn't it? That's what trust is all about. And um, and Simon Sinek in his great uh, book, Leaders Eat Last, talked about trust being the biological reaction to the belief that someone has your well-being at heart. And I think that's very true. I, I love that definition. When we say, you know, the low, when we say your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first, I want to make sure that that's not misconstrued, which it could easily be, uh, as though you're supposed to be so anyone's doormat, right? Or a martyr or self-sacrificial. No, not at all. It's sure. simply as, as Joe, again, the salesperson in the story, the, the protege, as he learned from several of the mentors, 
the golden rule of business, certainly the golden rule of sales, is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by genuinely moving from what we call an I focus or me focus to what we call an other focus, looking for ways to, as Sam, one of the mentors in the story advised Joe, make your win all about the other person's win. Any thoughts on the law of authenticity? The most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. Yeah. You know, in, in this part of the story, one of the mentors, um, Deborah, she shared a, a lesson she was fortunate to learn early in her career, and that is that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are all indeed very, very important, they're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core. But when you do, when you, as we like to say, show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel good about you. People feel comfortable with you. People feel very safe with you. Uh, and, and this is really because of the consistency of you. You're, you're authentic. You show up the same way every day. And that's very important. It's very difficult to elicit trust without consistency. And a big part of consistency is your authenticity. And uh, so it's just, it's a, a very important aspect of the relationship building process. The law of receptivity, the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. I wanted to ask your thoughts on this one thing. I read this profound article years ago by uh, Roger Scruton, and he said that people are more apt to give from a posture of thankfulness. And the moment they're not thankful, mm-hmm. then, and, and begin to see things through the eyes of claims or rights, it shuts down the whole process of giving forward. And I was just wondering what your thoughts on that is that as we stay open to receiving, then we are thankful for the things that we allow to be given to us. And then that puts us in more of a posture to want to give Oh yeah, uh, because we're thankful for what we've received. I just wonder what your thoughts were on that. I agree with what the author had, uh, had written. I think it's very profound how he, uh, how he framed it. And gratitude has a lot to do with it. The, you know, when we say um, uh, the law of receptivity, it's really talking about understanding. And, and you, you and I, we, we, we hit on this, uh, we touched on this a little earlier about the treacherous dichotomy, the false dilemma. You know, we've got, we, we need to understand that, yes, we breathe out, but we also need to breathe in if we're going to thrive, never mind just survive, right? You can't do one without the other. We breathe out carbon dioxide and we breathe in oxygen. We breathe out, which is giving, the giving of value to others. We breathe out, which is giving, and we breathe in, which is receiving. Uh, despite the messages of lack that we we so often receive from the world around us, and really through all types of, whether media, people, schooling, what have you, the world really gives us so many, not mixed messages, but very negative messages in terms of prosperity, money, abundance, business, so forth and so on. You'd think, you know, that giving and receiving are totally opposite concepts, but they're not at all. 
giving and receiving are simply two sides of the very same coin, and they actually work in tandem. The key is that you focus on the giving and then you allow the receiving. This, you know, this is really why John David Mann, my co-author and I, why we we often say that money is simply an echo of value. Money is an echo of value. It's the uh, thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means nothing more than the value must be the focus, right? You give first, the value must be the focus. The money you receive is simply a, a very natural result of the value you provided. But you do have to allow yourself to receive and get past all the the negative tapes, so to speak, that that the world has given us and has lodged into our unconscious uh, about, you know, about money. What kind of value, and I'm speaking specifically to medical device reps right now, what kind of value can these reps provide their customers post-AdvaMed, where a lot of uh, what we did in the past to give, at least tangibly, to our customers, whether it's pins, gifts, trips, uh, you know, all these things are forbidden fruit right now. Walk us through your thoughts on what are the things that they can be doing to provide value to their customers when some of the historical things that we saw of value are now out the window. What we find is that in creating an experience of value, you are that additional value, right? It's you who communicates that additional value. Well, how? There are many ways, but but they all they there are probably hundreds of ways, but they they tend to come down to five what we call elements of value, and those elements are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. To the degree that you can communicate one or more, hopefully all five of those elements of value at every touch point. From the you know the moment the lead comes in, whether it's an inbound lead or it's outbound or you know however, from the moment that relationship is established, that from that initial contact, even before it is a relationship, while you're still you know having to reach out until you get to that decision maker, from that point to the relationship building, to the follow up and the follow through, to the through the sales process, through the referral process. To the degree you can communicate those elements of value, that is the degree that you take your competition and price out of the picture. True story. I had an interview with a a high-level surgeon, and his administrative assistant was just uh, so helpful to put it together and we did the interview and I called her a week later and I said, look, I just, I wanted to thank you. And, and she said at the end of the conversation, she goes, so, so what can I do for you? And I said, well, nothing. I just called you to tell you how much I appreciated uh, what you did. And she was very taken aback by it. And then we ended up talking 10 minutes, 15 minutes longer. And she is going out of her way to get me interviews with the rest of the practice. So, and I, I don't feel like I was doing anything special there. Uh, I was just doing the right thing. Um, which, yeah. which is special. <laughs> which, unfortunately, is special. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's special, isn't it? Uh, I love chapter six, serving coffee and the quote, sometimes you feel foolish, even look foolish, but you do the thing anyway, right? That's yeah. just so good. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, it's because it's, well, it's sort of, you know, what you just said. It's it, it it's it's going out of your way to do the thing that you know is right just because it's right, and that doesn't mean other people accept it, and that's okay. 
you know, uh, I mean, we never want to be purposely offensive to someone, but we want to do the right thing in a, in a kind and tactful way. And when we're congruent with our values in that, in that regard, good things are going to happen. So many of the things that make us a good device rep, in my opinion, are the same things that make us a good husband, wife, oh, parent, sure. friend, etc. And, and I see a lot of that same, this overused business word, cross-pollination, in your book. Uh, being a go-giver is not just a sales shtick, is it? Um, no, and that's why we um, put the little subplot in there regarding Joe and Susan. Uh, yeah. and their relationship because we, you know, it is a business book and it's a business publisher portfolio. Uh, but we, we did want to make the point that whenever we're talking about success, however one defines success, when you're utilizing universal laws and, and proven principles, it tends to, to work across the board. So whether we're talking about success in terms of financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational, what have you. When you apply, you know, when you apply these laws, it's going to work in all areas of your life. And, you know, that it's, that's not to brag because none of these principles are anything that John and I came up with or thought of. I mean, these are all principles that successful people have used since time immemorial. Now, now many of them didn't even know that's what they were doing. Uh, they did it intuitively and others studied and learned and, and so forth. But, but none of this is, you know, none of this is particularly new. Where did you get that aha moment? I want to put this to paper. Well, I'd had a book out many, many years ago called Endless Referrals, Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales was the uh, subtitle. And it was really a book on how to build your, your business, your, your business, your referral business. And it was really written for people who had a great product or service. They were very proud of it. They knew it brought tremendous value to those who were their customers and clients but they didn't feel comfortable necessarily in the relationship building process. So endless referrals was a system. It was a methodology on how to develop those know, like, and trust relationships on an ongoing, consistent basis. Um, but I'd always been re you know, I'd, I'd always enjoyed reading parables. And, um, and I, I had actually thought for a number of years that I'd like to take the basic premise, the know, like, and trust, and turn that into a, a parable. So really, I just, you know, kind of one day asked, well, so what is the, you know, if I was going to name this parable, <laughs> uh, what would it be? So I, I kind of asked myself, what is the, the basic essence of a person who's able to uh, create those, those uh, relationships, both uh, quickly and sustainably? And, and, it, and really, the answer was, well, they're givers. They're always looking for ways to give value to others. So coming up with the title, The Go-Giver, uh, was, you know, was the first part of it. But really, the, the best thing I did for that book was to ask John David Mann, who was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I was writing for, to ask him to be the lead writer and storyteller. Because, again, I'm a how-to guy. John is a, a brilliant storyteller. So once he got involved and things took shape, well, then it was, you know, then it was, then we really had something. How can my audience connect with you and just see what uh, you guys are up to, what you're doing these days, uh, your, the series and how to order and all these things? Uh, the best way is just to go to Berg, which is B-U-R-G dot com. And while they're there, they can read uh, chapter one or an excerpt of any of the books in the series and decide if they like it, they can always click through. Uh, I also have a, a free um online video course i just released which is called selling the go-giver way 
and uh, they can find that when they're on Berg.com as well. Uh, what about audiobooks? Uh, is your book on uh, audiobook? Yeah, well, all the all the books in the Go Giver series are yes. I got to ask you something completely unrelated to all this stuff. I have heard uh, these two words my whole life, and I never stopped for a moment to ask somebody what it was. But I noticed that you were a Golden Gloves boxing champion, and I, I've heard Golden Gloves, Golden Gloves. What is that? Oh, it's just a. Um, uh, this is obviously when I was much younger. Uh, it's a uh, boxing tournament, the Golden Gloves, and it, it's actually a. Um, uh, a governing body. So there's AAU amateur athletic union. There's golden gloves, uh, which is a governing body and golden gloves is a, a well-known, uh, boxing tournament, uh, amateurs. Do you still enjoy watching fights or? Yeah. You know, I don't follow it like I used to for a long time. I did, but I, I probably have, I'll tell you what I love doing though, is I, I love going on YouTube and going back and watching some of the older fights. And some of, you know, some of the, the, the older fighters from the past who were even before my time. So I, I probably enjoy doing that more than I even uh, enjoy watching the fights live on TV. Was there a particular boxer that kind of inspired you to get into it? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I was when I when I was coming up and again, I'm, I'm 62 right now. And I started when I was o- almost 17. Uh, Muhammad Ali was the champion and I always loved watching him, of course, but, uh, some of the older fighters like Willie Pep, uh, were just, you know, to me, these guys were, were just great. I mean, just, just technicians in the ring that, that I, I loved watching and trying to emulate. So yeah, there were, you know, there were, there were quite a few of them that were just, uh, Great, great to watch and great to learn from. In, in the absence of asking you a completely self-serving question about your own book series, what what are a couple books outside of your series that that have made uh, the most profound influence on your on your life? Um, you know, Harry Brown wrote a book which very few people have heard of. It was actually published posthumously about, gosh, probably eleven or twelve years ago after he passed. And it was taken from two two brief manuscripts on his hard drive that I, I think he wrote for his sales team. It had never meant to be published, but his wife found them, and she, thank goodness, sold them to a um, independent publisher. And the book was called "The Secret to Selling Anything." And what it really was, though, um, or the secret of selling anything, excuse me, uh, Harry Brown, B R O W N E. And what it really was, was a magnificent book on understanding human nature, which I think is just so very important to living a successful life, never mind just, you know, uh, successful in sales. Um, and, um, and as a matter of fact, I did a review on his, on this book. If you go to uh, berg.com slash blog, and then, and then in the search, put the secret to selling need not be a secret, or you can just write the secret to selling or the secret of selling. Uh, it will, it will come up. It was just a beautifully written book on understanding human nature, respecting human nature, living in the truth of human nature, not, not, not wanting to try to make people something they're not. And Harry was just brilliant when it came to that. And uh, that, to me, was just a, a wonderful, fantastic book. Uh, 
Uh, and then, you know, there are other great, great books, classics, such as How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie that everyone's heard of, you know, and probably has in their, their library. Uh, a great book is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which really talks about how and why we buy and how so much of it is, is not logical in nature. A great book I read last year, which has made a, a huge, been a huge help to me. Uh, it's called Thinking in Debts by a woman by the name of, of Annie Duke, A-N-N-I-E-D-U-K-E. And she really, she's a, a former world champion poker player. And what she really talks about is working within the odds when you're making a decision, right? So we don't always have all the facts, but based on the facts we have, she talks about how to judge whether your decisions are more correct or, or less correct. And it's absolutely brilliant and a very fun read. So, you know, I'm always reading and always learning and, and just, uh, there are so many great books out there. I could, you know, I could, I could discuss books for hours. <laughs> I have a lot of surgeons that listen to the show and some high level device reps. Just to give you the podium for a second, would you have any advice for them? If you had to tell them one thing, to take away from from what you've learned over your life and and your experiences, what would that be? Well, you know, I'd say, and they, and they probably already know this, and yet human nature ha- it makes it so it's very hard to remember. And that is, when it comes to the sale itself, it's never about your product. All right, it, it seems like it should be, and of course, the product is very very important, but it's never about the product. It's always about the other person and how they will benefit from it. And of course, how their patients will benefit from it. And so it's, you know, we always say great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. Great salesmanship is never about the product or service, as important as those are. Great salesmanship is always about understanding that it's about the other person and how their lives will be touched, how they will benefit just by doing business with you, by having you as part of their life. Thanks so much, Mr. Berg. I just love the heart of this book. I absolutely love it. And I'm so thankful that uh, that you and John wrote it. To me, it's the foundation of the house, um, foundation of the house, so to speak, of being a successful device rep and successful at, at everything else that surrounds our life. And I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it. Well, it's my pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for having me. I, I love the work you're doing in your heart for this business and this profession really shows right through. This is one of those episodes that I myself am going to listen to several times because there's so much gold in it. Uh, one of the things that jumped out to me in particular was that golden rule of sales. I love that. All things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. That's true for your surgeon. That's true for you as a device rep. And how does that happen? Where does that know, like, and trust come from? It comes from the deliberate application of these time-tested truths over the long haul. These truths that we talk about every week on Device Nation and truths that are contained within this wonderful book uh, that we just discussed today. And what is the long run besides being a great song by the Eagles? Well, we've talked about it for almost 35 episodes. Can you believe it's been that long? 
uh, playing that long game, being able to speak Fredish, go back and check that out. That was really good stuff. Uh, the relational side, being the reason that somebody smiles today, always making every interaction a positive interaction, working on our technical skills so that we can bring value to the staff and the surgeon, living life in the interrogative and not the declarative, because it's all about them. That is what's going to stand the test of time and going to put the polish on your brand. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the brand called Device Nation, and I hope you have a wonderful week. So let's all remember to be competitive, be meek, and be secure, and most importantly, be safe.